0: Part of WP Media, WPmedia.com. Spoiler alert, when this podcast talks about the books of his dark materials, it does so in the context of the most recent book. And when it talks about the television show on the BBC and HBO, it does so in the context of the most recent episode. You've been warned. The Dust. Welcome to another edition of The Dust. My name is Matt Murdick. We are covering his dark materials on the BBC and on HBO. This particular podcast episode will be covering the music from season one, episode five The Lost Boy, written by the showrunner Jack Thorne, directed by Otto Bathurst. We're going to be talking about the music by Mr. Lorne Balf for this episode. He's a great follow on Twitter. I highly recommend that you follow him at Lorne Balf. It's L-O-R-N-E-B-A-L-F-E. Just follow that guy. He answers questions. Every Sunday recently, he's been releasing a new piece of sheet music that you can play the great themes from his dark materials on the piano with if you're a piano player. Or if you just want to see what these melodies look like on paper, just in case, you know, you're even if you're someone who doesn't like music at all, it's always great to look at those photos and see the score, uh, maybe even as you're listening to the official soundtrack, the music anthology of His Dark Materials Volume 1, a Volume 2 will be coming out shortly as well. In the meantime, if you have any thoughts about the music or if you want to submit thoughts about the show, feel free to do so. You can send emails to dustpodcast at gmail.com or you can send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. That's M-A-T-T-S, audio blog at gmail.com. You can tweet to the Dust podcast Or you can merely go to our website, mattsaudioblog.com, M-A-T-T-S, audioblog.com. That's where you can find a contact form that you can use to send your thoughts to us. You can also find all of the back episodes of this podcast, as well as our Game of Thrones podcast, and links to a lot of the podcasts that I've done in the past. All of those can be found, again, at mattsaudioblog.com. You know what else you can find there? You can find links to all of our podcast apps that we're supplying this podcast on. And if you have just a couple of minutes and you have an ID for Apple Podcasts, please, please, please leave us a written review there. The algorithm for iTunes slash Apple Podcasts states that if you leave written reviews, it raises us up in the rankings, and that makes us more visible to more fans like you who might be interested in the music of Mr. Lauren Balfe and what he's doing for this particular television show. We'd really appreciate it. Stars are great. We love stars too. But if you can take the time to leave a written review, just say this podcast is good, this podcast sucks, I don't really care what you say in it. I will, of course, take any kind of criticisms that you have into consideration so that we can make the show better for you. Uh, if you leave the written review, that helps more people hear us, which helps us redefine how we should do the show. That's enough about the podcast. Let's get right into talking about the music of this episode. Again, Season 1, Episode 5, The Lost Boy, or it's Series 1, Episode 5, The Lost Boy. Again, written by Jack Thorne, directed by Otto Bathurst, and of course, scored by none other than Mr. Lauren Balfe. Now, you two be good to each other, okay? Careful. And that's the music that scored Lyra riding York Berninson in that scene where they were going across the tundra at full gallop and she was just riding along. It was a really sweet scene in a lot of ways. I know a lot of people loved it. And I love this choice of music for this particular scene because it's something that we've heard before. And I talked about it probably just in the last two weeks. If you look on the volume one of the anthology and look up the music Scholastic sanctuary this theme is present on that piece and that was from when her and roger were running recklessly through jordan college racing to get somewhere to the crypts and that music so far in all three instances that we've really heard it presented big time has represented Lyra having fun. I mean, she's obviously having fun riding this polar bear, even though she's trying to, you know, tell Yorick that she will be respectful of him all throughout the episode and everything. Um, she's obviously having fun riding, of course, Yorick Berninson's back as he's just ripping across the tundra like that. So uh, it seems fitting that when she has it here and it has been established with her running on the boat as they were going north and seeing Trollocent for the first time from the boat, and of course, again, racing Roger through Jordan College. All of these appear to represent Lyra being able to have a little fun, to be alone, in a sense, in her own fun, to be free of all of this weight that is upon her. That's a wonderful piece of music. Again, the melody is like this. So there's part of the melody that will help you remember it whenever you hear it. This isn't the first time we heard it in this episode, and I'm not really sure whether to call it the Lyra having fun or just schoolastic sanctuary, because when it was first used, just a snippet of it, just a part of it, we call these little segments motifs. They're they're little parts of things that can be developed or can be used against different kinds of harmonies and everything. Anytime you have a theme, the melody tells you the story. The harmony tells you how to feel about the story. That's generally the way I look at most of the music that is scored for film. And in the very opening scene with her and Lee Scoresby, we get a little bit of it as well. In addition to that, we do get a confirmation of... Part of Lee Scoresby's theme as well. A little motive from his theme that we explored last week is used as well. This little bit here. And the whole scene is accompanied by that little pizzicata motive that also goes with Mr. Scoresby. This. That appears as Lee is saying that, you know, If he were a betting man, he wouldn't give anybody a chance. And uh, he is a betting man. Uh, So that shows up there. But he sees that that kind of upsets Lyra a little bit. So then he says, yeah, sure, we got a chance. And Lyra is kind of making fun of him by saying, you know, not many people should like you, Mr. Scoresby. And then we hear this little snippet of the theme from Scholastic Sanctuary again. So is Lyra really having fun here? Yeah, I think so. She's, she's feeling at peace with Mr. Scoresby, talking to him and everything. So I think that my theory about why and where it's being applied so far is still holding true. But remember that, you know, often, as Mr. Balford explained to me through DMs, he explained to me that all of these themes are created with the show creators first and approved and then the directors use them as they apply to different characters or different situations so this call to include this part here may have been by suggestion of mr bathurst for all i know it it doesn't really matter who's making the suggestion where or when but the situations do seem consistent anyway we get a confirmation of lee scoresby's theme and this is really, from the very beginning of the episode, a little snippet of that Lyra at ease theme. Let's call it that. Or schoolastic sanctuary, if you prefer. I can tell from your face you want me to say yes, so... Yes. The other thing to remember is harmony that is going underneath that scholastic sanctuary little motive. And what's happening there is the chord is not the chord that we're typically used to hearing underneath it. Again, melody tells us the situation and harmony tells us how to feel about it. And because of the chord chosen, it doesn't quite feel finished. Their adventure is going to go on today later, right? Right. You don't need to know what the chord is. You don't need to know any of that stuff. If you must know, it's the flat six chord being played against the relative major melody. How about how's that for a lot of words that you don't need to know? But it's what's happening there is it's creating a feeling of this is not finished. Now, let's go back even a little bit closer to the beginning. In fact, the very beginning where we get that overhead shot and Kaisa's flying over and starting to tell us about a prophecy. Let's listen to this clip and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Witches hear the immortal whispers of those who pass between the worlds. They speak of a child who is destined to bring the end of destiny. There's a lot of stuff going on there, and I tried to cut the dialogue out as much as I could, but I wanted to give you a sense of where it was in the episode also. Kaiza gets quite expositional about the fact that Lyra is a child of prophecy, or at least that the witches believe that she is, and that she is not alone. And we're introduced to Will. Presumably, his last name is Perry, since his dad's real name is John Perry. So, Will Perry. Welcome to our world. We get to see him uh, outside of just being a photograph for the first time in this episode. And there are two different things happening here. First, we have this little motive that happens at the very beginning as the overhead shot is established. Now, if you want to call that an ostinato pattern, if you've heard that phrase before, I'm totally cool with that because it doesn't change any harmony that happens with it. This stays the same. And that's usually what happens with an ostinato pattern as opposed to some kind of harmonic arpeggiation. On top of that, this is its own fragment that is has scalar elements, meaning that it follows a scale rather than a chord. So if you want to call that an ostinato pattern, that's fine. That's not the problem here the problem here is that this pattern is used in establishing not one but two overhead shots so you think okay maybe this is a thing for an overhead but i don't think that that's the case if you have volume one of the music anthology of his dark materials by lauren Balf, you will hear that pattern that i just played at the beginning of of a piece entitled Lyra, the Child of Prophecy. And let's face it, when this pattern is being placed, it is Kaiza who is telling us about Lyra's potential being a Child of Prophecy. Correct? Then it says she will not be alone, and the music changes. And there's a new melodic element introduced so my thing is is that this piece of music is connected to whatever the witch's view of lyra is about the prophecy about her and then we move on to this new piece of music and this is when we see will for the first time and we hear this melody so there you go that is the difference between the beginning and the end of that clip that i just played you is how it shifts from being focused on lyra to being focused on will but that pattern does kind of stay all the way through and it is repeated one more time again as an overhead shot when lyra is going to go to ma Costa after fodder corum tells her she cannot Go to the little village. This is too important. I'm sorry. First of all, did you notice how the chords changed? But the pattern itself, this first pattern regarding Lyra, stayed the same. Something else that we need to talk about is the timbres. The first time we heard it when Kaiza was talking at the beginning of the episode there was a different kind of timbre that was being used, almost a synth kind of like timbre. I'm not exactly sure what instrument was used for that. I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, one of my downfalls is that my ears don't always tell me exactly what timbre is being used. But I think it was synth-oriented in some way, or flute-oriented, some kind of sine-like wave. If you're familiar with waveforms, a sine wave is very smooth, it's very pure, it's very clear. Whatever the sound was... In this particular clip that we just heard, the pattern itself changed by timbre. It was now being played in the strings. The strings give it a little more edge, a little more urgency, as Lyra is telling Ma Costa, or going to Ma Costa, to ask her permission to go or to get her advice about how to convince John Fah and uh, Fader Coram to go. So... Those are the things that we look for. Timbre. What does that say about the story as well? It's not just about the melody. It's not just about the harmony. It's also about the instruments being used. And how does that change the focus of our feelings? Now, as far as the very first clip went that we heard, where that particular part was heard, and this melody was heard, we want to focus on that melody part now because it is very much connected to will when we go back from lyra's conversation with ma Costa back to our world where will is at then we get that theme yet again take a listen well you ask a lot i need to think Okay, I know that was a long clip. I hope I don't get in trouble from Mr. Powell for playing such long clips in this particular podcast episode, but hopefully I won't. At any rate, the thing to unpack here is huge. There's the melody, and there's some strange-sounding harmonies as well. And I feel like that each of those parts represent the two different characters. The melody is more of a Will character. Some strange chords, which we'll talk about in a minute, is more part of the mother and the mystery of what's going on with her husband and why she thinks her son is so uh, special. And we don't have all the answers to that yet, so it's, it's great to set up a, a mystery uh, with some chords. And again, I'll talk about that in a second. The first thing I wanted to do, though, is now talk about rhythm. Because the melody for Will, which I've played a couple times already, and you heard in that last clip, is rhythmically similar to Lyra's. Not in terms of melodic shape, but the rhythm is the same. For instance, if I play this little snippet of Lyra's theme... How did that feel in terms of count to you? It felt like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, right? That's Lyra's. Now listen to Will's. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, right? The same rhythm. They're on the same mission but they're coming from different places. So I love that rhythmically they're similar. I even did a little experiment as to if I played them at the same time, what kind of harmonies they would create. Uh, It did pretty good until you got to the last note, and then it just created this uh, kind of mush. So that didn't work so well. But uh, it still, rhythmically, they are paired up. And that's another reason why I... Focus the melody part more on Will than on his mother and I focus the harmony on Will's mom because it puts together two chords that don't feel like they should go together like this so what is going on there that's very interesting, isn't it? It doesn't feel like those two chords should follow each other. You don't seem to follow a sequence that fits a particular key. And the one thing that makes it feel that way, because you can really put any chords in any order anymore, thanks to, well, all the way back to Berg's 12-tone roll, you can put melody fragments together in any order that you want, randomly even, and create some kind of feeling. But the whole idea here is the fact that it creates the sense of what we call the tritone. In a much earlier podcast, I talked about a gentleman from ancient Greek days named Pythagoras. Pythagoras was a wonderful mathematician, but he didn't just do math about triangles, people. That's probably where you know the whole Pythagorean theorem thing, right? He did math regarding music as well. And it helps set the basis for what we call psychoacoustics. Certain sounds, when played together or in sequence, make us feel certain ways. And one of the things that if you look at Pythagoras's studies and determine how Western music is created, between two notes that are in different octaves one being higher, one being lower, there are 12 notes, which is very dividable by equal numbers, right? You can go up by threes, you can go up by fours. But the funny thing is, is that when we hear things that are symmetrical in terms of harmony, we get pretty uncomfortable. Now, we like our beats to be symmetrical. It's much easier to count to four and start over than it is to count to seven, and start over right regardless of rhythm we don't like our harmony to be symmetrical we end up with chords like the diminished chord which makes us feel scared or the augmented chord which just seems weird and what is happening here but by shifting between the two chords that i just played we get a tritone which is exactly six half steps apart from each other it's right dead in the center between two octaves And that's symmetrical. I'll just isolate the notes, the root against that note, and and it'll feel weird, like this. And that creates something that feels like it needs to lead somewhere. That doesn't feel resolved to us at all, right? It doesn't feel final. We need it to go somewhere else. And that's what creates the sense of mystery for us or the sense of uncomfortableness for us. And that is key to those chords. And we're still trying to figure out how much crazy is actually there with mom or what does she know that is not crazy at all, right? It makes us feel uncomfortable. Not about the fact that she might be a threat to Will or anything like that. Just the fact that there's something about her that doesn't quite add up. It needs to be finished. You take that chord motive which we're going to apply to mom throughout the rest of the episode and sometimes mr balf stretches it even further and adds more what we call color or more dissonance more uncomfortableness to each chord as in when she's figuring out that she's being followed like this really terrifying right we have the core of these cords of mystery that are associated with mom and then terror stretch them even further apart and make them even more uncomfortable because she's terrified the information she has she's terrified someone else will get and she's starting to realize that someone else wants it so that's a brilliant way to keep the mystery alive for us and at the same time, use even more harmony to create emotion on top of the mystery. Beautifully done. And it's not the only time that Lauren Balf uses the tritone feeling in the episode. As we've learned that Lyra and Will are connected, when Lyra has her own mystery as to what's in the shed, her... Melody changes and adds a tritone in it as well Before I play the clip. I wanted to establish Lyra's melody here Now keep that in your head, but listen to how the melody changes slightly As Lyra and Pan are approaching the shed where they find Billy Costa. Wait here and keep watch. (laughs) You're making me nervous. Don't let Yorick see me nervous. Did you hear it? It was in the second phrasing of the melody, of Lyra's melody, where one note changed. And boy, did it make a difference. Instead of hearing this... We heard this. Now, isolated, they don't really seem all that different. They both seem acceptable, right? But again it's where it is in relation to the root once again a perfect tritone once again exactly halfway between a octave symmetrical we don't like it listen to where that note fits against the key again so psychologically you felt uncomfortable as she was approaching just as she felt uncomfortable It was an expression of her uncomfortableness, and it was an expression of you being uncomfortable or an attempt to make you uncomfortable because you were like, what's in there? Especially if you're a TV-only person. I guess if you're a book person, you kind of knew what you were going to find in there. But uh, it still helps to add to the emotion of it, right? That, ooh, creepy? So that's the new material or the way that some material that we've already heard has been modified we call those variations and the variations in this particular episode were great we got an introduction of a new theme for will some kind of mystery chords to accompany his mother we got this part of the soundtrack which is called lyra the child of prophecy as seen through kaiser's eyes in those overhead shots and to establish the connection between lyra and will and of course because of the emotion of what happens to billy costa we got a lot of the Egyptian theme the first time being of course when john fa sends lyra off on her mission i want you back in the safety of the camp before tomorrow night It's nice, it's purposeful, it's Lyra on a mission, it's the Egyptian way, pressing forward north, going for their children. It's not that much changed from what we've heard before in terms of versions of the Egyptian theme. But we do get some bits of the Egyptian theme when things take a turn for the worst. For instance, when Lyra returns to the camp with Billy Costa we start to get the upward part of the melody but we don't get the downward part of the melody because that would complicate the emotion and we want to stay with our key center in the minor notice how the chords in this next coming clip don't change they stay on the same note like this and like this and this it's very very sad uh have a listen the melody plays against, creates extra tension. These people don't understand what has happened to poor Billy Acosta. His mother is horrified. Ratter is nowhere around. He seems like, as Lyra puts it, a ghost. And because there is so much pain, the mom is in so much pain, she tells Billy it's okay to let go, and he does. And when he does... We get the melody and some very subtle shift in the harmony so that it ends on the minor five chord as opposed to where it would normally end. It creates a feeling of sadness. You don't need to understand what the chord is or where it comes from. Um, for you musicians, it ends on the minor five. It just shifts enough to where that melody going up is the point where the chords are at their lowest and when we create more distance between bottom and top we create more emotion it makes things bigger and ma costa is feeling the worst big emotion that any mother can possibly feel here's the clip we'll be all right just the performance which was absolutely amazing i really felt for macosta and her anguish and and her bravery in letting her boy go because she knew it was better for him but uh the music just made me really really feel the impact well done mr balf mission accomplished um that totally put a pit in my stomach and uh that was the purpose of that then there's the funeral pyre scene where we hear the egyptian melody once again and it's end-capped with some singing uh, by the cast saying goodbye to Billy Costa. At some point in the future, I do want to explore the songs, like the song that we heard in the very first episode and this particular song here, the songs of the Egyptians. I feel like those have some significance as well. Uh, my priority, though, is to talk about how the melody, the harmony, the timbre Rhythm, how they all work to help create emotion for us as we watch these. Not to superimpose the emotion that we're seeing, but merely to accentuate it and to make us feel more magnified in our feelings about things. And I feel like this episode was a great example from the tritones to these sad chords. I'm going to leave you with this clip of the funeral pyre and I'll be back with some closing thoughts in just a moment we have to fight we have to kill Thanks so much for listening today. Hope you enjoyed the podcast as far as the music goes. Also, remember, Holly and I will be talking about the story. We'll be recording that uh, as probably as you're getting this episode. We'll be recording that, and you'll get it within 24 hours. So thanks for sticking with us. Once again, if you have any thoughts about the music or the story, feel free to contact us. At the Dust Podcast on Twitter, dustpodcast at gmail.com. You can simply go to mattsaudioblog.com, mattsaudioblog.com, mattsaudioblog.com. You can find the links for everything the Twitter, contact information, a contact form if you want to use that, and podcast app links. Please, please, please leave us a written review on whatever podcast app that you're getting this on. We would very much appreciate it. It helps us stay more noticeable among the many, many great His Dark Material podcasts that are out there. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Tweet at the Dust Podcast, email dustpodcasts at gmail.com, and find all info at matsaudioblog.com. Subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Part of Double P Media. DoublePmedia.com Media.